to be with you guys. This is one of my favorite weekends. Um, man, I'm so excited. Some of you have been here before but never actually seen uh, this weekend, which we refer to as Be Fearless. You can see the words Be Fearless virtually everywhere. But man, I, I just got to tell you, this is going to be, this is one of, the, one, of the, one of the highlights for me as a pastor to see our church responding uh, in this way we're going to we're talk about today in a little bit. But man, so excited. If you're new, gosh, I'm so excited that you're with us. This is, um, this is one of those weekends where we kind of lend credence to the thing you hope that we do. Like if you're not a church person, you're like, I hope they care about some stuff that I care about a little bit. And I guarantee we're going to at least hit some of those things a little bit today. Um, what I like to say every week as we gather, and maybe you've heard us say this, is that, again, if you're new, you were probably invited by someone. Our church is full of a lot of people who are really serious about including people who are you know, maybe unfamiliar with church or you're new. I get it. Let me just tell you, we're, we're about following Jesus and loving other people. We're convinced that we don't have either of those things really perfect. We just are aiming our hearts in that direction. And, and this is a place where we say nobody has all the answers. But if you're on a journey kind of investigating who Jesus is, this is a great place to begin that journey or to continue it if you've been wandering a little bit. And uh, so wherever you are, we're just really, really excited that you're here. Now, today, this is where you may have heard us say this before, is that we talk about the idea that we're a church that's in the community for the community, that our purpose isn't simply to kind of build a little social club here, but it's really about how do we actually have impact in the community around us, and that idea comes out of something that Jesus said, and it's in this series, what we're in now, which is that things I wish Jesus never said, because when you look at Jesus, most often people have an impression that when Jesus was walking around and having and conducting his ministry and you know, conducting all these miracles and all of this kind of stuff. Our impression is that everybody thought this is wonderful. But to look at the Bible, you actually get a different picture about Jesus. And it's one that you kind of go, boy, he said some pretty difficult things. But not everybody was real excited about. In fact, here's just an instance. Jesus tells everybody he's going to give them a kind of life they couldn't have without him, essentially. And here's their response. On hearing this, many of his disciples, disciples of the word just simply means follower. Many of his followers said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Meaning he says some stuff and basically to translate that into like more like to make it a little simpler, basically saying, you know, he says, who can accept this? Essentially the same way as saying, this is, you're crazy. Jesus, this is insane. You've been saying a lot of great stuff. We got a little crowd going here. And now you're saying who can, you're saying this kind of stuff. Nobody could accept what you're saying. In fact, a few verses later, this is what you get that same crowd actually doing. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Like we just can't take it. We like what you're doing. You seem like that Messiah person we're hoping for, but you keep saying and doing things we don't know what to do with. And so they gave up on him. I mean, as we consider what we talk about today, when we look at what Jesus says, it's not uncommon for people to say or to respond to Jesus with fear. He says things that seem really great, but on the, on the outset, but the, the implications cause us a sense of fear. Like we're not really sure if we really want to take that step with him. So many deserted him. You can't interact with Jesus, look at his life or the things he says without encountering some things that are really, really difficult. So the question is this, what do we do with the things that Jesus says that we really don't like? I mean, do we minimize them? Do we forget about them? Do we skip over them? Or do we really, if we're really serious, as Tim mentioned, you're going to be challenged today, which you are, no matter where you are in your own relationship with God, whether you're checking them out or whether you've been coming to church since you're, you were know, you're born, essentially, you're going to be challenged with this idea that Jesus says some things that are literally a challenge to our own way of life and our own way of living. What do we do with those things? Today's that day where we get to experience or walk through some things that are really tough. And it's that thing that differentiates the church in so many ways, as I mentioned, from just another social club. Our intention as a church community is never to just simply extract people from the world, put them in a safe little environment, and keep them safe forever and ever. 
Our intention is to release people into a dangerous world where there might be harm to them, that they might change it for good. And so this is what we're about today. We're going to talk about what that looks like, and it is tough, and it is so good. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. Jesus, um, as we gather today, would you give us a heart to see beyond our need? Would, would you give us a heart to see beyond our need, um, just that there's a world out there that is bigger and broader than us? Father, would you help us today to increase in our own gratitude? Jesus, we know that, uh, that we can move into the world with much greater energy and enthusiasm when we understand that we have been blessed so richly by you. And so, Father, as we gather every week, and sort of customarily, we give a moment to pause. Would you remind us, just for a second, of some of the things for which we ought to be grateful? Even if we're in a tough season, even if we wandered in here barely making it, would you give us a sense of at least a few things in stillness for which we ought to be grateful? Father, we can agree that the world is in need of change. And if, Father, it is indeed in need of change, Jesus, would you start that process within our own hearts today? Challenge us, move us, encourage us. Might a better picture of who you are be made clear to us today. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, as you've been here with us before, you may have known or may have um, been aware that um, we are uh, committed not simply to helping you learn about the Bible or walk with Jesus only, although that's really important. We are, it's our hope that your entire life in every aspect is benefited in some way or another, that you gain new social skills. Hopefully, you in some way are, are better suited to go out into the world and make a change. And so with that in mind, um, I, I just feel like there's a pressing need in our church for which you need a little brushing up, and that is dining etiquette. I know now as I'm raising my children, there are rules that I was raised with that my kids, we're not enforcing those rules. And just with that in mind, I went online this week to take, it, take an etiquette quiz, 15 questions, I got 14 right. That's 93% for those of you guys who aren't, yeah, thank you. I know some of you are surprised, but I did nail it. So now that being said, I took five of those questions and wanted to give those to you as a little gift to you to help you in all areas of your life. You know, you never know when you might need this stuff. So here we go. Here is your etiquette quiz. See how you do. Test yourself. And if you, if you do really well and you need another reason to be condescending toward people, here's a gift to you. All right? <laughs> here we go. Number one. True or false? Your water and wine glasses are located toward the right of your plate. Five, four, three, two, one. How many say true? How many? Don't say it out loud. Just raise your hand. Just, not, just, this is a silent test. False. How many say false? Okay, wait a second. Just really quickly, I want you to understand. Your mom is not in the room. She's not grading you, but you have to play. There's only two answers, okay? How many say true? How many say false? The answer is true. <laughs> yeah, etiquette rules. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next question. Things like bread, the bread basket, butter, and salad dressings are passed clockwise, counterclockwise. Why are we asking this question? Or across the table. How many say clockwise? How many say counterclockwise? How many say, this is so stupid, it doesn't even matter? <laughs> How many say across the table, because that's way more fun? The correct answer, be ready, counterclockwise. A lot of you are going, I can see a lot of you going, how does the clock go? I don't, <laughs> better figure it out for your next dinner party, or else grandma's going to get ticked. Okay, here we go, next question, because she knows about this stuff. What do you do if a piece of food falls off your plate and onto the floor? <laughs> Employ the five-second rule. 
If it's less than five seconds, or depending on how good that piece of food is, put it back on your plate, pick it back up and leave it on the bread plate, or leave it and don't step on it. How many say A? How many say B? Pick it up, put it on the bread plate politely. C, leave it and don't step on it. <laughs> Some of you are waiting for the other one. Said, so leave it and stamp your feet on it. Rub it in. Make it disappear. Yeah. Call, call Kirby the dog. <laughs> Kirby. Something fell down here. Correct answer is leave it, don't step on it. <laughs> more clapping, more claps of condescension all over the room. <laughs> here we go. I just imagine someone literally dropping food and going, I dropped some food. <laughs> Got it. Okay, here we go. Next question. The bread and butter plate is located above the fork and to the upper left of your dinner plate, above the knife and to the upper right of your dinner plate or on the right side of your glasses. How many say upper left? How many say uh, upper right? How many say to the right side of your glasses? I'm assuming that's a little less upper and more right. The correct answer is above the fork and to the upper left of your dinner plate. Not as much clapping for that. You're like, I, don't, I, I hate the butter plate. Okay, that's fine. <clears throat> Last question. True or false, you should always pass both the salt and the pepper, even if only one is asked for. Ooh, mmm, mmm. Because you think if someone asks for the salt, you don't give them the pepper. That doesn't make any sense, right? How many say true? How many say false? That's insane. True. What? It, that's, that seems so absurd, doesn't it? Can I have a salad? Yes, here's also a steak. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. But that's what you do. That's the law. Don't question the law. All right, now, when Jesus, the time of Jesus, people are in, Jesus spent, by the way, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you want to turn in your own Bible, or if you want to follow along on the screen, great. Or you have your outline there, you can pull that out as well. But anyway, at the time of Jesus, people are anticipating, and Jesus is speaking about something, in fact, Almost all of what Jesus talks about, and even all of his parables and everything else, almost all of them are dealing with something called the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of theories about the kingdom of God, particularly at the time of Jesus, some people are expecting it to be an earthly rule of God who comes down and conquers all of Israel's enemies. That's one theory. One theory is that it's, a, it's an eternal kingdom that will one day happen, and sort of everybody's waiting for that one day. What people are in constant agreement about is that the person who's going to usher in that kingdom of God, whether it's a now or a now and forever kind of thing, is a person called the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ. So this is where Jesus comes into play here. His own interpretation of what the kingdom of God looks like is what gets him in a lot of trouble, first and foremost. But when people are talking about the kingdom of God, people who are part of the Jesus group of followers or people who are outside of it, one of the metaphors they employ a lot is a feast, a great table, a dining table. Now, Jesus, at the time, in Luke chapter 14, to read the whole chapter, which we don't have time to do, Jesus is invited to dinner, to have dinner with a Pharisee. A Pharisee is about, oh, by the way, I should say this, people who will play a prominent role in God's coming kingdom, this kingdom of God picture, are the people who are deemed to be the most righteous. So people who do everything right, who keep all the laws, these people are probably going to play kind of a significant role. Everybody knows they're going to be great and wonderful. And the Pharisees are regarded by all of the people generally as the most righteous. And the Pharisees themselves kind of go, we know we got this wired. We can't wait for the kingdom of God because God's going to love what we got going on. Now, that being said, Jesus is on the way to have dinner with a Pharisee. 
at his house on the way. He encounters a guy who needs some healing. It's a Sabbath, which means you don't do anything except eat pretty much. You kind of just hang out. You're with your family. It's a day dedicated to God. Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath. The Pharisee notices it and is like, what are you doing healing a guy on the Sabbath? Why are you being kind to someone on the Sabbath? That breaks the rule. Jesus has a little conversation with him about that. And then he tells him a story about a guy who's having a great party, who's hosting a great feast. And here's where we pick up our story. It's in verse 16. Check this out. Jesus replied, a certain man, by the way, right before this, there's a guy who goes, it's going to be so great when we have the great banquet of God. Jesus is like, oh yeah, let me tell you about this great banquet of God, kingdom of God imagery. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything, oops, for everything is now ready. He just broke my finger on the screen right there. Come for everything is now ready. Now, here's what you have to know. In the first century, when a, when a wealthy person is hosting a killer party, the way they do it is they don't just say, you know, here's one invitation, hope you guys can make it. They send out two invitations. The first one, requiring an RSVP, does not only prepare the host to give them an idea who's going to show up, but it also is used to tell the other invited guests who will be making their appearance. In other words, who, if the right crowd says yes to the party, then the rest of the right crowd will show up. If a few influential people are like, I'm not going to that lame party, then nobody else is going. And some of you are like, that sounds kind of familiar. Because it's really not all that different than us. Now, it's a little bit more serious because the parties are bigger and more extravagant than probably what you might imagine. But we kind of do the same thing. If everybody's being invited, if there's a big party going on, the first question we always have is, who's going to be there? Because it doesn't matter whether they got some killer event happening. If there are, if there are lame people there, we're like, oh, I can't, I have a dentist thing someday in the next six months. I can't make it. You know, I don't know what it is. Like, we start figuring out ways to get out of it because we want to make sure. So this right here is the people have been invited. They, that list is publicly known. Now what's being said is the second invitation goes out to say, now we're ready to have this killer feast. You've said yes. We're all excited about it. Now here's what happens. The um, this servant goes out and tells everybody, which, by the way, a person having a servant means they're a pretty wealthy person. The servant goes out and tells everybody, hey, the party's ready, verse 18. Oops, I should say this. Just back that up a little bit. Like we just said, people who are attending a party are asking this question. Are the people there, is this party worthy of my presence? We wouldn't say it that way, but that's really what we're saying, right? A feast is attended by those who deem it worthy of their presence. You are looking at a party going, is this worthy of my presence? You would never say it that way. You would never say that to the host. You would never say, I'm not sure your party's worthy of my presence. <laughs> but that's really what you're asking. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. You're going to, you're going to you know, pump it up, bounce a rama thing. So lame, I'm going to sky high. Or whatever it is that, you know, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. A feast is always attended by those who deem it worthy of their presence. And they wonder, is this going to be worthy of my presence? And the determining factor almost always is who else is going to be there. Sorry, verse 18. Here we go. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now, what you're about to see is some of the most classic lame excuses you've ever seen in your life. These are all-time lame excuses. Here they go. The first one says this. I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. You said yes to the party. Yes, but I bought a field. I don't have to walk around in it. <laughs> Jump on it. It's just going to be there. I got to go check on it. Now, presumably if you bought a field, you probably inspected it before you bought it. So this is like uh, the lame, I don't know, I'm panicking. I don't want to come to your dumb party. Okay. Verse 19. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. <laughs> you know, those oxen can't wait. I bought these oxen. By the way, it's 10 oxen. 
I got, they're all in there and they want, they want to be, they want to plow the field. I mean, who's, who am I to tell them no? <laughs> got to get out there and try them out. He's not saying I have to get the food into the barn before the harvest because it'll, we're in the season of the year where it'll be, everything will be ruined. There's no urgency here. It's just, I got to walk my oxen around in a circle. Can't come to your rad party. Stupid. Now, this one is the most insulting. <laughs> this is the most insulting excuse ever in the history of excuses. Check this out. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. You know, I, I'd come, but that old ball and chain I just married, she is just, uh, she is a nightmare. I don't know what I'm doing. I'd rather be married to a team of oxen. I mean, it's just like he's got this, he's got this, the worst excuse. Now, this is all of the way that they're talking about this. Like, I can't make, like, there's no way I can make your dumb party. I really want to, but it's not happening. I got oxen. I got a field. There's all this stuff going on. Now we have to figure out there's something else that's all, what's holding these things in common. All these people who are invited have a couple things in common. Let me just kind of link them together. All of the invited, this is, this is the person who bought a field, the person who has these oxen, the person who's now being dragged down by his wife. All of these people live with some kind of excess. Now here's what I want you to capture. These are people who are, these are people with means. The person who has bought, who has purchased the field, that person has some money. If you are a person sitting in this room and you've ever bought a field, you're also rich. Like, oh, I just bought a field, okay? If you ever bought land, you're a rich person, okay? The rest of us want to know what that's like, okay? That's a person who has means. The person has five, uh, five yoke of oxen. That means there's 10 oxen. That means that person has the capability of plowing 110 acres. Subsistence living at that time is one and a half acres. This is a person of enormous means. These are the kinds of people, to put it into context now, those first two people, these are the people who say, I don't know where I'm going to put another snowboard in our garage. Wow, what are we going to do with all these skateboards or all these bikes? All these clothes that I used to wear, they're taking up space in my closet. We got to figure out what to do with these. We got to get a storage unit. We have too much. I don't know what we're going to do with all this stuff. Sound familiar? The last person, this other, this, this married guy, is a person who says, I don't have a need. I just, I've already been to a really great party. I just got married. And a wedding fiesta, a wedding party is way bigger than any like wedding celebration reception you've ever been to. Then in the first century, it's multiple days. The whole town is there. It goes on and on. It's a huge affair. And what they're all saying, essentially, all these people who live with some kind of access, all of them are saying is, I have no need for this feast. I don't need it. I'm invited, I said I'd come, but I don't need it. I'm too important and too busy and I have too many things going on and I don't need your feast. I don't need to be there. Now the servant comes back to the, the master. This is again the story. He tells the master. He reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now remember, you have to put this in the first century context, people who are poor, crippled, lame, and blind, these are people deemed to have done something to deserve this situation, or their parents, or their parents, 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 have done something that has angered God, and they're living as people who are already cast out and cursed. These are the people, should they have responded at the first invitation, all of the important, quote-unquote, righteous people in the community, those in the, up, up, the upstanding citizens, would never have shown up. So the master says, go and tell these people who nobody else wants, I want them in my party. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has already been done, which means the servant knew the kind of master that was already there. In other words, 
The, the master says, go get these people. And he's like, I already did that. I knew that you would want these kind of people in your party, the ones nobody else would want. He says, well, what else do you want me to do? There's still room for more. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, why would he say the word compel? Because his next line is pretty indicting to those people who are initially invited. Check this out. I'll come back to compel in a second. Here's what he says. I tell you, not one of those who are invited initially will get a taste of my banquet. In other words, you get nothing and like it. But he says to these people who live out on the outside of the city, he says, compel them. Now, why would you have to compel them? The people who live outside the city, these are people who have no, these are people who nobody else wants. Not just that they're, they're farmers or farm workers or agricultural workers out in the, in the fields. These are people nobody else wants ever. So in other words, the idea of being invited to be at this rich person's party is completely unnerving for them. And here's the reason why. Right here. There is a rule of reciprocity for every party given, which simply means if I invite you to your birthday party, you've got to invite me to yours. The invited are always obligated to invite their inviter. Now, if you're a person who lives on the outskirts of the city, this is a person who is a criminal someone who has some kind of disease, someone who is mentally unstable. The prostitutes live outside the city. These are people who are being compelled to come to this party because they have no possible means of repaying the, the host at all. And they're afraid that if this, if this does happen, if they do get invited, they're going to have to figure out how to repay the host. And they have no way of doing it. They're terrified that they'll be on the hook because the rule of reciprocity looks like this. Remember, a feast is attended by those who deem it worthy of their presence and who have the capacity to reciprocate it. And now you have people being included who can never repay the host whatsoever. Jesus is speaking about an analogy. He's using a word picture to describe the kingdom of God which remember as implications for the present and for the future, which means this is a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And he's saying to the people who have the most means, I want to tell you a story about those people who you don't want near you. This is who's going to sit at the feast of the table of the coming kingdom. How comfortable are you with those people sitting at your table who cannot possibly reciprocate the gift they've been given? Let me back up. There's even another layer here. Because what Jesus is saying, let me just to illustrate the point, let me back up a little bit. In verse 12, he says this. When you, let's see if goes when you then jesus said to his host when you give a luncheon i'm backing up before the story when you give a luncheon or a dinner don't invite your friends your brothers sisters your relatives or your rich neighbors if you do they might invite you back and so you will be repaid thus invoking the rule of reciprocity instead when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled the lame and the blind and you will be blessed and although they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous in other words here's all it's saying Invite people who can give you nothing back, and God will get you back for that in the best way. He will bless you. Those people will not be able to repay you, but God has got you covered. In other words, there's something about the heart of God which says you have to have some level of comfort or at least work through the discomfort of sitting around people or being among people who make you uncomfortable. That you might be afraid. You might not know what to say because this is how I feel. The idea of being, I mean, my life is already hard enough. It's hard to be a, a parent. 
It's hard to be on top of the bills. It's hard to be on top of doing my job. It's hard to be on top of maintaining friendships. It's hard to be on top of everything else I got to do, my own relationship. It's hard. And then God says, I want you to have a sensitivity to people that nobody else wants, the people that make it difficult for you. And I go, that's just so scary. I'm afraid of that. I'm not trained in how to handle that situation. I don't know what to do when I'm uncomfortable with these kinds of people around me. And Jesus says, this is the kind of people who are being invited to the feast of the kingdom. Invite the people who can't pay you back and you'll be blessed. The truth is, the people who walk with Jesus, well, everybody's been extended something. We've all been invited to dine at a feast of a host we cannot repay. We are people who both live in with a tremendous amount of excess, and we're a group of people who have been invited. We are the poor, the blind, the broken, and the lame who sit at the feast of the king who says, you get to eat here, and I know you're a train wreck. I know what's going on. And yet I want you around me. We've been, in, we've been invited to walk with this person in Jesus, not because we've earned it, not because we're spectacular or righteous, but because he goes, I love you and I want you at my table. We have all been invited to dine at the feast of a host we cannot repay. How do we want to treat the other invited guests? As if they don't belong or as if none of us belong, but we were invited anyway. The only way forward, through the fear, beyond all of what we're worried about, is that we, ex- we, get, an, we get an understanding of gratitude and of joy, <clears throat> a fresh understanding of both. We move into something with fearlessness, beyond the fear. Now, I'm going to bring my hair up, <clears throat> and I want you to get a sense for some of the things that we're going to be doing as a church, specifically through this area of fear, specifically right at it, so we might be a more fearless church. Let's welcome my hair. Hey guys, good morning. Sorry. <laughs> so good to be together with you guys. Uh, I'm excited that I get to launch our Be Fearless campaign uh, and just talk to you a little bit about what God is calling our church into uh, for this season. And as we consider our place at the table that Jeff was just talking about, I want us to think about what it would look like to create room for the poor, the marginalized, and the forgotten in our communities at that same table. And I think this leads us right into our Be Fearless campaign. And so when I, say, when I say, let's be fearless, what does that mean for our church to be fearless? Well, I can easily stand up here in front of you and just say, all right, just be fearless, go out there, go give more of your time and give more of your, your money. But instead of that, I'd, I'd rather introduce an idea to you. What if God was more interested in who we are becoming, and and who who he wants us to be, than than what we can do for him. Let me say that one more time. What if God was more interested in who you are becoming, and who we are becoming as a church, than what we could do for him? See, regardless of what you think of Jesus, whether this is your first time with us, and and you're just checking him out and wondering who Jesus is, or you've recently began to follow him, or you've been following him for decades it's easy to see that Jesus is after the transformation of our hearts and our minds. And what I'm beginning to understand is that God wants a church full of people like that, transformed people, full, a, a community full of people like that. 
And the awesome thing is that when, when, when I think about this, I think about our church. I think about people like you, people that are all in, people that are not afraid to invite God into all the areas of your lives. I've heard the stories. I've seen the transformations, and they're amazing. And so when we talk about being in the community for the community, it's not just about us working with our hands, but it's about us inviting God into our communities to transform them. And so as I thought about this, I, I realized that one of the greatest obstacles to this is fear. And I said, you know what, let me do some research. Uh, I want to I know what the, what the great minds of our time, uh, what those that have gone before us have, have thought about this. And so I got some quotes, got some quotes for you guys. The first one from Nelson Mandela, he says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. The second one, far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumph, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much. Theodore Roosevelt. And this last one, this, I, it truly captures the essence of what I'm trying to say here. I think fearless is having fears but jumping anyway. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Got you guys with that one. Um, you know, we laugh about that, but, but I, I, I believe that these three quotes truly capture what we're trying to say here this morning. That when we're walking with Jesus, it's not about not having fears in our lives, but regardless of those fears, to still go forward, to still take a next step. And some of the best examples of this comes from you guys, comes from families and individuals here at Mariner's MV. And I, and I think about people like Andrea and a group of Ladera Ranch moms who, who's, who are watching the news, the, the Syrian refugee crisis unfold and say, this is unacceptable. We cannot just stand by. And so, and so they put a team together and, and they, they invite and they care for two Syrian refugee families that came straight from camps in the Middle East. And they did such an incredible job that it got national attention. And if, I don't know if you remember, but during that time, everyone was turning away from refugees. And they said, no, that is not the heart of God. And I think about people like John and Aaron and, and other families that said, we're not going to stand by as, as, as families get destroyed because of crisis. And so through our Safe Families ministry, they, families are, are taking in children uh, that, 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 are, that, are, that their families are in crisis for a short period of time. And then I think of people like Debbie who say, you know what, it's not okay that the elderly that have dementia are withering away alone, but we're going to come alongside them. We're going to spend time with them, care for them regardless if they ever remember that we did or regardless if they can ever pay us back. And what's so beautiful about these stories and the many more is that the poor and the marginalized and, that the, for and the forgotten in our communities get a place at the table of God because of people like you that are stepping out and taking a next step. You see, our intention was never to just build a great church, but it's to build a great city. Now, when you first walked in, 
you're handed a bulletin, and there's this card in there, and it has various opportunities that you guys can sign up for either on the patio or online. But I want to take the next few moments to just point out three of those, uh, highlight three of those that, that each of us can take a next step with. Number one, our betting drive. Now, one of the most life-giving things that you can give a homeless family that's been sleeping on the street is a bed with new sheets, blankets, and a pillow. And so we're going to partner with Families Forward to provide bedding for all of their transitional houses that are for, the home, or for homeless families because we're about providing dignity for people by having them sleep in clean beds. Number two, our Viejo Elementary Tutoring Program. Now, some of you might recognize Viejo Elementary. We did serve day, our first serve day with them, and we've continued that relationship, and we've done some amazing things together since. But as we were talking to them recently, they mentioned that they have this tutoring program and that they have a waiting list of kids just waiting because there aren't enough tutors. So we're going to encourage you guys this morning to go and sign up to be a tutor. Give an hour of your time and see the impact that it, ha- that it could have on these kids' lives possibly for a lifetime. Number three, our Mexico Community Center build. Now, many of you have gone down to Mexico and and have met Pastor Daniel, and we've had a great relationship with him over the years because they are are a church that that says we want to be in the community for the community. And so with their latest church plant, They've said, we want to build a kitchen, we want to build some classrooms, and we want to build some offices so we can truly be in the community with, 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 with our people. And so we're going to join them for, for four consecutive trips that are they're going to come up and, 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 and help them do that. And what I love about this opportunity is that so many of you families that have gone and taken your, your kids have come back and have said, this has changed my kids' life. 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 <laughs> And, and it, it has changed forever the way they see the world. Now, there you go. Those are, there's a three great opportunities that you can get involved with and so many more. But before, before I go, there's one more thing that we need to talk about. And that's Serve Day 3.0. Woo! Yeah. And as we talk about Serve Day, we can sum it up in one sentence. And that is mobilizing our whole church to build a great city. And you see, Serve Day has become a phenomenon in Orange County where we have superintendents and school districts and principals just inviting us to come visit their schools and to say, hey, interview our schools. We want you to do your next Serve Day at our school. And if you've been with us for the last few years, you've seen us take our whole church and, and go and, and, and renovate, and renovate a, an entire school and beautify that school. A thousand people at each time. And it's been amazing. And so after much deliberation, our team has decided to do Serve Day 3.0 at Linda Vista Elementary on June 12th. Yes. So if you have plans during that time, cancel them. You know, because we're going to go. Put it on your calendar. This is an amazing opportunity for our church to be in the community. You don't want to miss it. It's so much fun. It's so great. And for those of you, and, and I understand some of you don't know what I'm talking about, so for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, we have a little clip of our video from last year that I'd love for you guys to see. And these are the things that we are about. Thank you, guys. 
incredible beginning to an awesome journey with this school. Uh, we have so many projects going on and so many people just committed to what this community needs and this school needs and building a 410 foot fence, renovating different playgrounds, people coming from different areas of the community and whether they go to this school or whether they go to our church, there's just families that live in the community. They are coming out to support this amazing day that we get to be a part of. I really wanted to be a part and actually push myself into the community and into church too and really get involved. And so I think that's like the great thing about Serve Day is that, you know, it gives you the opportunity to not only help yourself but help others. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was expressed strongly enough to you because my heart's kind to you, but I want you to understand, you do not want to miss, and nor should you miss, and nor will you miss Serve Day. It is literally among the greatest things that we do in, in our church. It's been one of the things that shaped our church. You're wondering, I don't know how to build and do stuff. I'm not sure I'm familiar with dirt or whatever. That's Okay. <laughs> We have a spot for you. You're like, but I got little kids. They can't come. Not true. You saw the kids in the video doing stuff. My son, my youngest son, this is this last year. Um, he's six years old last year. And he's like, Dad, I want to use a shovel. I'm like, okay. Because like, it was a little, it was a little, actually, by the side note, it was a little bit like, you know, a little bit of a dig on me. Like, we don't do enough manual stuff at our house, Dad. I need to go find somewhere else where they got a shovel. It's like, oh, okay, well, fine. <laughs> feel a little bit inadequate but anyway so we go to get a shovel and he goes he grabs the one that's as tall as I am pretty much and he, then he gives me a shovel that's about that big he's like this one's for you dad and I was like well I want to use the big one he's like mm -mm, that's mine so he's using that thing and I got this thing where I'm like down on the ground trying to dig stuff it was and I so I had to swallow my pride a little bit and I tried to keep tricking him to give him the small shovel all right don't you want no no you get the little one dad okay great it's one of the most amazing things that our church gets to be a part of and what people will tell us all the time is, I need a way to be able to get more plugged in to do some stuff. I want my kids to grow up more grateful. I want to be a more grateful person. I want to be more generous. I feel like I've lost that ability. This is your entry point. It's so much fun. Really, you want to be there. June 12th, it's going to be awesome. What Maher mentioned earlier, you mentioned the, can you hear me that real quick? Maher mentioned the betting drive. What he's saying is this. Is this awkward that I'm hugging us like this? He's saying that there are places where you can buy a whole set of betting all in one big kit. So if you're not like a design person, you need to go figure out what things match, you just, they just tell you. You just go to a place that sells cheap sheets that comes in a little zipped bag and you're golden, all right? We want to be able to be a part of that. There should be a mound of those things. And all of you, are, who wants to say, you, like when you bring your friends to church, they're like, oh, that's cool. What are you guys doing with that stuff? And you're going to be like, oh, that's all betting for people who have been moved into transitional housing. And your friends are going to go, which one did you give? You don't want to be going, I, did, I, I didn't. Uh, we don't believe in betting. I mean, you, don't, you want to be like, I think this is awesome. All right, let me get this back to you. Good catch. All right, now, all of the stuff that we're talking about, our church does something really unique. Most churches do not do this. So this is kind of unique to us. If you're new with us, you haven't been here that long, I'll tell you what we do that's unique. Most churches say, here's our operating budget. Let's take a little slice out of that operating budget. And then what we'll do is we'll use that money to our effort, to those who are poor, marginalized, those who are forgotten, that kind of stuff. We take a portion of that money. What we do is this. We say, our people are so generous, and it's been proved true over and over and over and over again. Our people are so generous, they already give to the work that God's doing in our, within these walls in our church for the programs that happen here. 
the children's programs, the, the turning the lights off, and all of that, the facility itself and all the programs that go on to it. We believe and you have proven that you want to be a part of those things and that that work is really good and sincere and right. And what you said is above and beyond that, this is what we do as a church, above and beyond that we want to give to God's work among the poor, among the marginalized, the forgotten, the lost, and the lonely. So this is why you have two envelopes. The first envelope is one that's behind the seats in front of you. That's the one for those of you who, on a regular basis, you're people who give by writing a check you want to, or money you want or cash, you want to put it in there and put it in the offering box, which people do, I know, every week. Some of you are more, um, you're like, you know, it's, I actually think this is pretty unique discipline for people who do this. Who even in the era where checks are kind of disappearing more and more, for people to actually have the discipline of writing it down, that's just some, some people love to be able to do that. The discipline itself is really heroic. This is for that above and beyond. In my own family, we don't make a decision. So, by the way, people don't always get this. I, I receive a salary from the church. I'm grateful for that. And then I turn around and give money back to the church. People are always like, why don't they just pay you a little less? I'm like, that's a good plan. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we actually, my wife and I, we, we look at, we, we receive the paycheck from the church. And then we turn around and give about 10% back. And then we say, above and beyond that, what do we want to do? So we're a part of doing different stuff. We sponsor different things, do whatever other stuff, because that's all like whatever. You can't, I'm just doing whatever I want. Now, we also give above and beyond on a, on a monthly basis to the work of God, to the, to the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten through our church, through outreach. That work, all that we do is, a, so some of you, by the way, are you going, I'm not sure I want to give to your dumb church. I don't know what you guys do here. This is crazy. I'm not sure about this. Let me just tell you, if you want to figure out how to give to something that does not involve literally, the, we get nothing from this. All this goes right out into the community. This is your opportunity. And all of the things that we're talking about, serve day and everything else comes at a great expense to us, and it is so worth it. When you, are, when you want to be able to say, I'm a part of something that matters, that's about changing the community, when you tell people you're a part of a church that does this, you're saying, what you're saying, by, by being a part of it financially, what you're saying is, I believe in the work of serving people who can never repay me. I believe that what God does for the people who can never pay me back, who don't make me look good, who don't directly benefit me in any way, I believe that's a good thing and I'm a part of that. That's what you're saying. Now, I'm going to show you something and you're going to think I'm kidding and I'm like 88% kidding. Okay, no, I'm my first time, 12% kidding. Okay, here we go. All of the stuff that we do in the community, we actually have priced this out. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to show you this. Some of you were here a couple years ago and we did this, but it is somehow manages to be effective. Here it is. Ready? All this can be yours, all this work in the community. By the way, you get nothing from this. That stain that you have on your carpet that has never gone away, it will stay there. That boyfriend you broke up with that you hope will call you, he's not going to call you. That mess that's spilled and you're, you know, that you need some kind of special towel to clean it up, it won't help. That hole in your roof that you want to get that magic spray that goes on, that all of a sudden will just clear it all up and you could actually, you know, what's it called, coat your boat in it and it will float in the lake. Still going to have a hole in your boat. All this can be yours for $39.95. I'm, I'm being totally serious. You're like, is he serious? He's serious. Now, here's what I mean. That represents a measure of a kind of sacrifice for some people. For others of you, you're like, I can't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You can give, this is the idea, our, all of our projects can be funded for one year on, if everybody gave that much money. That's what we know. Some of you can give, can move a decimal point to different places. Some people did. Last service, someone's like, uh, I want to do the whole amount. And we're like, okay. No, 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 I want that without the decimal point. Okay. Some people want to do that. For some people, even maybe a greater sacrifice is to say, I can't do this. I can do 399. 
so worth it, so good. This isn't about the money. It's about, as Maher said, changing our own hearts. But God wants to do something really incredible in the community. Now, some of you are going, are you just trying to get our money? Well, not for me. It's for the community. You live here. You live in the community in which there are things that need to be changed. This is funding that effort to see things being changed in the community. Um, uh, the way I was thinking about this week is some of you, maybe you give one-time shot at this. You go, I'm giving $39.95. I, whatever. That's fun. I'll give 40 Maybe I'll round up and give five extra cents. Going crazy. <laughs> you might want to do that once. Some of you may be able to say, I could give that on a monthly basis. I've never really given to any kind of effort like this on a monthly basis. You can do that as well. I want to give this on a regular basis, see what happens to aim my heart at what God's doing among the poor. Some of you go like this, I can't give that much on a monthly basis, but maybe I could give a different amount. Here's what, here's what I know. I was talking to a lot of the, some of our folks on Thursday night. I said, how many of you guys have like a Netflix subscription? Oh, I do. I watch all the time. I watch everything. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Right on. Okay. You know, how many of you guys have a Spotify, you know, you have a subscription to that thing? Those are 10 bucks a month. I go, I have a lot of $10 a month things that are really important to me. I pray for a sick day so I can just watch all the childhood sh- shows of my childhood on Netflix. <laughs> it can't get enough Knight Rider and 18. You know what I mean? It's just like, I just got to watch more of that. But I, but I have to wonder in the bigger context, what does it look like for 10 bucks a month to aim my heart at God too? Uh, maybe it's not an either or scenario, but maybe, it's, maybe it is for some of us. But we go, I want to be a part of what God's doing in the community, and I want to do it on a regular basis. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray for us. And I have, to tell, I have to tell you, over the past several years, you in this community have proven to be among the most generous people I've ever met. Not only are you some of the kindest people, and people will tell us literally all the time who are new how kind you are to them, how warm you are to them, how welcome they felt at our church. But you have also proven to be an incredibly generous group of people. Not just simply giving to support the work that's going on in our church, but giving above and beyond to see the work that goes on in the community. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. And then we're going to respond together as we always do in worship. So let's, let's pray together. Father, you have seen our own hearts. We have so much to be grateful for. You have given us a great blessing of life and of wholeness. And Father, you have included us in a feast which we cannot ever repay. We've been invited. We are sick and lame and broken. We cover it up, Father, with things of our own means and our own ability. But, Father, we're people who are longing to be known and loved. And so, Father, you have welcomed us when nobody else would. Not because we earned it, but because, Father, you've just chosen to love us. So, Jesus, as we respond today with hearts full of worship, might you hear the cry of our own hearts that wants to see a city change, to see a community change, to see our own hearts changed in the process. And so, Father, it's in your name that we pray all of these things fearlessly. Amen. Amen. Now, can we turn the house lights up? I brought the band up. The band is going to help you worship. And some of you are like, but they don't have any instruments. I hope they do an acapella thing. I would love to hear them sing acapella. That's not what they're going to do. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to help you worship. And they're going to help you worship by helping you aim your hearts at God's own heart for the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten, the lost, and the lonely. They, like a number of people wearing a shirt like this out on the patio, are going to say, here's an opportunity to give generously. And I want, to, I want to extend that to you, and that will be our worship today, our response. And so will you do this? Why don't you stand up? Remember, none, this, is not a, this is out of joy. You, if you don't have the joy for this, you can just wave at people in a blue shirt and just go right onto your car. But if you've got joy, opportunity to respond in joy. So here's what I want you to do. Would you hold out your hands, as we typically do at the end of each service? Nothing magical about this. It is simply to say, I I receive, God, what you give to me, which I did not give to myself. That's all that's saying, just a posture of that. Father, you see us before you. We have been given so much, and we've been invited to be a part of a great feast in which we cannot ever repay what we have been given. 
Today, Father, would you multiply our generosity? Would you give, would you give us a heart for the poor and the lost and the disenfranchised? Might we figure out time in our schedules? Might we figure out space in our budget? Might we make room for those things because they are near and dear to your own heart, Father? And so, Father, would you unleash in this community a great sense of joy and generosity? Would you unleash in this community a great spirit of volunteering, of generosity of time and of our own hearts? And so, Father, we go before you. Would you go before us, Father, toward our community? hearts full of love in your name. Amen. Amen. Get out there. Be generous. These guys will help you be generous. You can use a card on an iPad. You can use the envelope. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week.